0: This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello
1: and welcome to the Three Lions Podcast. My name is Russell Osborne. And this is an independent England supporters podcast. Now, I must say, firstly, thank you very much for all the feedback on the recent episodes. Be it the last one of our England at the European Championships, the 2016 one, or the England C episode, or any of the others. It's always great to hear from you. And, of course, recently we spoke with Matthew Halliday about his first England away game, which was Costa Rica in the Brazil World Cup. And this episode, we'll speak with another supporter who went on a journey following our national team at a very young age. Now, all those previous episodes are still available on your usual podcast provider, be it iTunes, Spotify or the like. Or you can head direct to 3 I wonder how many supporters will choose the Qatar World Cup of 2022 as their first away trip. Well, we now know the match schedule that games will be played on. Obviously, we don't know who will be there yet. But FIFA announced on the 15th of July that the tournament will begin on the 21st of November 2022. And the final, the 18th December. And with 32 teams in the tournament, the group stage will see four games a day. And the round of 16 and the quarter-finals, there will be two a day. As I've said before on here, I'm in two minds about going. My morals say no, what with all the corruption that has come with it and the loss of lives in the stadium constructions. But I feel that as it gets nearer, I'll be getting itchy feet. Although with it being so close to Christmas... Can't see it doing my bank balance much good. Right then, let's crack on with this episode. Another in our Your First England away game. And don't forget, you can tell us about yours. Just drop me a line on any of the social media channels or at 3lionspodcast at gmail.com. As I've previously said, it'd be great to hear some of the older stories. But this time, we're speaking with Alfie Wilson. But before we hear his memories, I'd just like to firstly apologise for the audio quality. Now, you'll be able to hear Alfie fine, but for whatever reason, my microphone didn't pick me up as it should. And whilst you can still hear me, I sound a little bit distant. I hope it doesn't spoil it too much for you. I'd like to welcome to the Three Lions podcast. We're doing another one of our Your First England away game. We're going to Oxford this time. I'd like to welcome Alfie Wilson. Alfie, hello. Hello, Russell. Good to be on here. You're very welcome. Thanks for uh, thanks for getting in touch and saying I, uh, I've got a first England game story to uh, to let us know about. Yeah, um, and
0: uh, one of the uh, very young ones. Um, yeah. Go on. How old were you at the time? I was 11, Damn. Uh, with your time, yes, I'm 19 now. Uh, for my 11th birthday, uh, which is in April, so two months before the tournament started, uh, my dad said, Uh, we're going to Kiev for two and a half weeks, uh, to see all the group games in Kiev. Uh, so Ukraine versus Sweden and Sweden versus France were the two others, but obviously one of them was Sweden versus England. Oh, amazing! Your yeah, birthday
1: present. Oh, I'd love to have a dad like that, yeah. <laughs> So England-Sweden Euro 2012, it was game number 907. What, what was your what was your thoughts when your dad told you that?
0: Uh, it was amazing, yeah, because, um, well, I was a bit sceptical because obviously all of my uh, tournament memories of England up to that point uh, hadn't been particularly good. Um, but it, it was always going to be amazing to see England at a major tournament. And um, Sweden were probably the weakest side in the group, uh, that gave you a little bit more
1: hope. We had France and Ukraine. host Ukraine were were also group, yeah. weren't they? Yeah, we, we'd already drawn with France in Donetsk before we uh, we came to Kiev. And myself personally, I remember getting the the overnight train from Donetsk to to Kiev, which was an event in itself.
0: Well, yeah, because um, my dad didn't want uh, 11-year-old me making... I think the train journey to to Donetsk would have been about nine or eight hours, yeah. a really long journey, which for me wouldn't have been too regardable. But, uh, yeah, so we just stayed in Kiev uh, for two and a half weeks, which I think was a good decision. Yeah. What did you make of Kiev? I really liked it. Um, so my dad is um, Professor of Ukrainian Studies at UCL. Right, and so um, throughout my childhood, you know, always hearing stories about the post-Soviet world and his various travels there. And uh, it was my first time going to a post-Soviet country, uh, so I didn't really know what to expect. Uh, but I was pleasantly surprised. Um, we stayed in a in a really central area. It was actually in between the stadium and uh, the Kroshatic, where the fan zone was, that really long street, as I'm sure you'll remember. Yeah, and uh, it was great. We did a we always did a little uh, tourist thing per day. So uh, on the day of the Ukraine Sweden game, uh, we got into an adopted patriotic mood by going to that uh, the Motherland statue, which overlooks the river, which is like phew, it's like a hundred meters tall. Mm. Uh, it's quite similar to the one in Volgograd, where England played Tunisia, actually, and uh, also like to all the lovely churches and uh yeah it was really nice my
1: um what i remember about kiev there was a few things they say a lot a lot of the churches dotted around and and the main strip where the fan zone was but i remember there was the there was the funicular that went up the hill that you could get on
0: yeah uh, that was uh it, i think it was something like it cost like 8p yeah. a ride to go <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which was yeah uh,
1: uh, there, was, there was the river, the main river that runs through the city. And what I do remember is on looking across the river, there's a little island in the middle, which yeah. was just jam-packed, rammed full of Swedes, all yes. picked up
0: tents there. Absolutely, yeah. They called it like Camp Sweden. That's um, right. Because All their, all their group games are in Kiev. It was kind of the same in the Phantom. They had a sort of area of the Phantom where they sort of annexed as well. And um, I, they, they kept on, because um, they won a Eurovision uh, a few weeks earlier. Ah. And um, one of the, the songs was called Euphoria. And they seemed to just be blasting that out on a loop and just having a rave from like 3pm onwards every day. But yeah, no, there were absolutely loads of Swedes. And because um, the England fans didn't really start arriving until like one or two days before the game, for the opening five or six days of the tournament, Kiev was basically like a mini Stockholm, so yeah. So did you watch the the England-France game? Were you out there then
1: and did you watch it in a bar locally?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, we actually watched it in the fan zone on the big screen. Um, my dad was outraged because obviously he's a regular traveller to Kiev and um, they uh, tripled the price of a pint of beer from 50 p to pound fifty, <laughs> um, which he wasn't too happy about. And then um, we just rushed home, got the tickets for the Ukraine-Sweden game and went straight to the stadium without any dinner, as I remember. And so we came out of the stadium at around 11 o'clock, absolutely famished. <laughs> and, uh, went to a yeah,
1: local bar for some burger and chips, I think. Nice. I mean, that, that stadium, the the game which we've been experienced three times there, I'm guessing. Um, Yeah. It's the the Olympic Stadium, isn't it? Which is a fantastic stadium.
0: Well, um, the Ukraine-Sweden game was actually Ukraine's first ever competitive game in the new stadium because it was specifically built for Euro uh, 2012 because the only stadium in Kiev up to that time was the sort of ramshackle Dynamo Kiev Stadium by the river which some people don't know, might remember from, like, 98, 99 Champions League. But, yeah, uh, yeah the stadium was great. Um, we were in the upper tier for all three games uh, in various areas of it. But, no, it was really good atmosphere uh, for each game. Yeah, I, was, I found my, my ticket for it. I got it down, all,
1: all tucked away in, in the programme. And I was, in the, I was in the lower stand uh, or lower tier just on one of the corner flags.
0: Yeah, were you, so were you with the main cluster of England fans? Just yes. uh, yeah, to the left corner of the goal. Yeah, so it says
1: where am I? I was in I was in the yellow stand. I was in block nineteen, row twenty six, seat eighteen. I was <laughs> there. I was uh, 30 euros or thirty oh, Ukrainian. Uh, what was the, what was the currency in Ukraine? Uh, uh, Rivnia. Rivnia three hundred milivnia.
0: And uh, yeah, well, me and my dad were um in the top tier of the stadium, uh, just behind or above the tunnel, rather was where all the commentary teams were okay. and uh, we were just to the right of that and we were only actually a few seats away I distinctly remember um, there was a very loud Colombian commentator I think who might have been from another Latin American country I think it was yeah. Colombia who uh, got very excited uh, with the well-wet goal especially uh, rightfully so yeah uh, yeah we had a great view of it well
1: that must be an interesting little vantage point from where the, the commentators sit just to st- I don't know, to casually see them and how they work.
0: Yeah, it was definitely the most enlightening because um, for the other two games, so for the Ukraine-Sweden game, we were behind one of the goals. And uh, then uh, for the Sweden-France game, uh, which obviously meant that we, miss, we missed the uh, Ukraine-England game, as I remember, was quite a dull affair. Um, yeah. been so a good game to miss. But we were, again, behind the goal uh, for the Sweden-France game, where Zlatan scored his scissor kick, which was just amazing. But, yeah, my favourite uh, area to sit at the stadium was uh, centrally by the commentary box. Yeah, great view of um,
1: things. Cool. Well, I mean, on, on to the game, I mean, what, what, what did you think
0: going into it? Did you have a, a prediction or thoughts? Well, yeah, well, I was. Um, I actually thought our first three games under Roy Hodgson were really promising, especially in a tournament sense, because in the two friendlies against Norway and Belgium, they were both really dull games, but we were really solid defensively. And it was more of the same against France in the opener because we sort of had the two banks of four. And then I was either like Welbeck and Young up front in the opening game, I think. And they were linking up together quite nicely. And we looked good from set pieces. So I remember Jolien Lescott's goal against France um, was just a pinpoint ball from Gerard. So for the Sweden game, when the lineup came out, I think uh he dropped I think he dropped Oxlade Chamberlain actually. And uh, he played Wellbeck and Carroll up front. That's and then right. Young on the left and Milner on the right. Gerrard and Parker were the midfield too, but Gerrard and Milner kept on swapping uh with each other and like either of them would, you know, have a go at whipping in balls from the right hand side, which we looked dangerous from. And uh, that was obviously where we got our first goal with Andy Carroll with what's probably my favourite header ever. Uh, <laughs> it's good, good head of that one, wasn't it? So twenty-four yeah, minutes in, yeah, it looked like it was up from outside the box when it first went in. It was uh, that powerful, but yeah, it sort of came out of nowhere really because it was quite a dull first half. It definitely livened up in the second half. Yes, well, I mean, so we went in one
1: 0 up, and you say it was the most exciting in first half, But we got a uh, got the goal and we're, we're one up, and then yeah, as you say, the second half sort of exploded, especially right at the very beginning.
0: Well yeah, it was I wasn't really expecting it actually. Um Swing's first goal from the set piece, I think um I think Sebastian Larsen was on it and he just smashed it into the wall and it kind of ricocheted everywhere and nobody really knew what was going on. And I think it just came off Glenn Johnson's thigh and went into the corner. Um it was quite unlucky. Wasn't it yeah, me? Melbourne? got the second one and he was unmarked yeah. for that one. I remember being mm. annoyed at that. And then, obviously, you go 2-1 down in quick succession and you fear that the momentum's all going to be with them. But um, he brought Theo Walcott on, and that seemed to change everything, really. Well, pretty much immediately, wasn't it? So Walcott
1: came on uh, for James Milner. And yeah. And he'd literally been on two, three minutes, didn't he, before he got the ball on the, uh, on the edge of the area? or oh, probably further back than that.
0: Yeah, no. So I think um, the corner came in from the left, and it was just headed out, and Walcott just picked it up. And he kind of just fired it into the mire of bodies in the box. And it uh, got a little deflection off someone, but it was just enough to put the Swedish keeper off. I think it was Andreas Sissakson. And uh, it just sort of looped in weirdly. From our angle at the time, it just looked like Walcott had scored a screamer and had a load of swerve on the ball. But on replays, yeah, it was a perfect time to score. Uh, Really was just five minutes after to settle the nerves. That was his his first goal since he scored a hat trick against Croatia in the
1: the four one away win. Wow.
0: Well, I remember. Um, did he? I don't think he went to the twenty ten World Cup in South Africa, did he? Ooh, good question. He definitely, he, he was famously there at two thousand six when he was yes. like seventeen mm. or whatever, and uh, obviously missed the year two thousand eight. Yeah, I don't remember him being at the twenty ten World Cup. And so it was finally good when he when he still had a promise to see him at a major tournament and deliver. Yeah. And then we uh,
1: so it was two 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 for a little while before. Well, you've already mentioned it, haven't you? Danny Welbeck. Uh, what what a goal! I just remember being in that that lower tier, just going absolutely yeah,
0: crazy. It was bedlam in the lower tier. We got a good view of it. Um, <laughs> But in the 10 minutes like leading up to it, uh, Walcott kept on you know, going down the right and he was causing their left back a load of trouble. It seemed to work a really good sub. And um, Walcott picked the ball up for that guy. He sort of looked like a blind alley in between the left back and the centre back, but he managed to like just knock the ball through him and then pull it back. And Welbeck had moved across to the front post. It looked like Welbeck, I don't know, was going to like, Try and control it and lay it back for I think Gerard was running into the box. But it was just an absolutely magnificent finish, moment of genius. I remember after me and my dad went mental for ten seconds, he was like, Oh, that was such a sexy goal. (laughs) Saying it like that. And um absolutely incredible. And uh I think might be one of our best uh goals at a major tournament of the last decade, if not the best.
1: Wow, this, yeah, it could well be. It was certainly different, wasn't it, the way he sort of hooked it hooked it behind himself and, and tucked it past yeah, Iskerson.
0: He liked a quirky finish. Um, mm. He was, he scored a load of dinks, as I seem to remember. And, like, yeah, he was one of the um, sort of early pioneers in the modern era of um, that backheel finish from a low cross. And, uh, yeah, obviously one of them coming up in such an important game was great. Yeah. He liked a good, a different celebration as well, didn't he? I'm trying to. Yeah, he sort of, um, as I seem to remember, sort of uh, put his two arms out and just moved them in and out like A um, um, like modern day breakdancing. Yeah, yeah, and I seem to remember him jumping over the uh, advertising hoardings onto the athletics track where there are a load of um, England flags. Yeah, soaking it up right in front of the uh, main core of England fans.
1: I mean, well, you mentioned that an athletics track there usually grounds with a uh, an athletics track. They don't have that sort yeah. of feel to it. But that that day, that night, that game, it, it you wouldn't have known there was an athletics track around there.
0: No, you wouldn't because, um, well, for the Euros, they covered it all up. But um, especially uh, where the goal where England attacked during the second half it was just an absolute mass of um England flags just sort of covering up, so you wouldn't have known there was an athletics track there. It was nice to uh spot two uh from towns uh, near Oxford in Whitney and Wallingford. Oh what, on name. flags. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you know them? Do you have you seen those flags before? Um, yeah, I think I've I've seen them at Wembley a few times, uh knit block one oh nine. But I've only been on two England away days since and um haven't seen them. How did you find the rest of staying in Ukraine then? It was good. We sort of uh, rationed our tourist things to do to one per day. So that sort of lasted us for the uh, 15 or 16 days whilst we were there. I remember one afternoon my dad actually had to, uh, I think he interviewed someone for some reason, I can't quite remember. But it was right out in the um, outskirts of the city where most of the housing is the really uh, traditional old Soviet blocks mammoth uh, towers yeah and but it was quite fun to experience that side of the city as well also we were in kiev for two and a half weeks so uh obviously uh there's only so much uh stodgy soviet cuisine uh, you can take and so after about seven or eight days uh each morning we ended up uh biting the bullet and going to our local patisserie and having a tiramisu for breakfast instead of um dodgy uh, <laughs> Ukrainian serial, uh, which was quite uh, an interesting uh, thing. Obviously, we we progressed through after
1: we beat Ukraine. We uh, we ended up back in Kiev for mm. the again uh, game, game against Italy. Were, were you there for that?
0: No, no. I uh, we went home by then. Uh, looking at how the Italy game went, it was probably a good thing because, mm. as I remember, they just um, we were knackered after sixty minutes. They just passed it around us like we weren't even there. Pirlo was orchestrating it all. Another penalty shootout of defeat, and one where we were ahead in, as I seem to remember, before Ashley Cole and Ashley Young uh, missed their penalties, which made it even more frustrating. And, and one that's famously
1: remem- remembered by uh, Pirlo and his his Penenka over Joe yeah. Hart,
0: and uh, yeah. Joe Hart doing his uh, scare tactics uh, before each pen to no avail, because uh, the one Italy missed, I think uh, Montelivo dragged it wide. Well, he's got to, got to try whatever he can, hasn't he? Any goalkeeper yeah. in that situation. Um, okay, and so you've you've been to a few England away games since? Well, yeah, uh, so I've been to two since. One of them was another game in Kiev. It was uh, Ukraine-England in a 2014 uh, World Cup qualifier for Brazil. Oh, yes. And it was an absolutely turgid, awful nil-nil. It was one of our final games. And um, as I seem to remember, um, Danny Welbeck, Uh, got suspended the game before. So we had to have Ricky Lambert up front instead. We had barely any pace going forward. To be honest, we were lucky to get out of there with a point because Ukraine were really strong in that qualifying campaign. They nearly beat us at Wembley, as I seem to remember. I think uh, Conor Plianka, their left winger, scored a worldie. um, We only got a point because Lampard scored a penalty. Uh, I vaguely remember, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just before we end. But it set us up well for the final two against Montenegro and Poland. So it's good to get a point, I guess. And then the other one was, um it was actually um, inadvertently how we went because um we booked a uh, skiing holiday in Northern Italy. It was in uh late March 2015. And uh, we then realised that England had a friendly in Turin against Italy. Nice. And, uh, so, yeah, we uh, drove an hour and a half from our ski resort to uh, go to that. Uh, we were in the home end for that, which was slightly weird. I think that game is of most famously remember for in popular culture for um, the Mexican wave going round uh, the stadium before the England fans stop it and um, <laughs> uh, give them a few yeah fruitful signs and yeah as as we like to do yes. yeah yeah <laughs> uh, no that was actually a, it was a good game. Uh, Andros Townsend scored a really good goal. Mm. Um, he rocketed one into the far corner. Uh, which was good. And, uh, yeah, very Italian job uh, vibes with uh, an England-friendly in Turin. Right. Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, so obviously this year's not going to happen um, and we're all sort of pinning our hopes on, on next year. What What are your thoughts for next year?
0: I think we've got a good chance. Croatia and Czech Republic should be two wins and then whoever uh, wins from playoff C, which I think will be Norway. Um, that should be another win. So I'll be surprised if we don't win our group. And then some people are a bit frustrated because if we win our group, uh, the last 16 matches uh be against either France, Germany or Portugal, which is a very tough game. But I actually think it's uh, a good thing, to be honest. I think it would be good to test ourselves against a really strong side since the World Cup, where uh, we had a fairly uh, easier route uh, to the semi-finals. And then if we, you know, get past France, Germany or Portugal, the momentum and the confidence from that will probably take us to the semi-finals. And then with the semi-finals and the final at Wembley. Yeah. We could do it, couldn't we? Well, there's always, you know, seems to be one or two teams we make it to the semis who you wouldn't really expect. So if we get one of them, uh, I do have uh, tickets uh, for the last 16 game in Dublin and then subsequently uh, the quarters in Rome if we win that. So, yeah, I've gambled on England winning the group. I'm confident we'll do that at least. Uh, Well, let's
1: hope so. There's plenty of us in that same gambling boat.
0: But, yeah, I didn't really uh, fancy uh, going to any of the games at Wembley. Uh, I think I'd rather watch uh, the games at home with my mates in a beer garden somewhere. Fair enough. Well, Alfie Wilson, thank you very much
1: for for sharing your memories, your thoughts um, and those little anecdotes on your first England away game, England-Sweden Euro 2012
0: thanks russell all the best
1: so thank you to alfie there 11 years old for a first england away i think i was 21 22 still it's not a competition as always, thank you for listening. Always great to hear from you and your stories. So I've got a few more tucked away, so I'll get those out soon. I'm just looking forward now to when I can speak with an opposition supporter, an Icelandic or Danish, then I know that we'd have a game on the horizon. Not wanting to wish it away. but Well, to be honest, that wouldn't be a too bad thing, uh, wishing this year away, but um, I hope you know what I mean. As I said at the beginning, if you do want to get involved, just drop me a line on all the usual social media channels, Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. I uh, can't be bothered with TikTok, I'm too old for that. Uh, but just search Three Lions Podcast or email me three lionspodcast at gmail.com. Until the next time, keep staying safe. We're not out of the woods just yet. Cheers.